drugs for Alzheimer's disease don't work, period, end of story. And they never will work um, because it's way more complicated than having a single drug try and target a, uh, a, a, a very complex disease process that's going on systemically throughout your body and neurologically in your brain. So that's why you're seeing this, this absolute abject failure of all drugs associated with trying to treat uh, Alzheimer's disease. I turned 50, y'all, and I started a podcast. Really, age is just a number. It comes down to how we choose to live and the choices we make in our life and those things accumulate. Don't let the programming of life keep you from doing things every single day that, that make you happy. When we feel good, it's easy to think good. Life is not happening to you. You are your life. You are happening to your life. Hey, welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I speak with Dr. Michael Nelson, a functional medicine physician, as well as the owner and founder and chief science officer of BrainBeam, um, which is a nutraceutical uh, manufacturing company based in Reno, Nevada. And um, in this episode, we discuss the prevalence, the increased prevalence of brain disease, specifically um, Alzheimer's and dementia, even Parkinson's. Um, these um, diseases are increasing at an astonishing rate at all um, age ranges. Um, and we look at some of the causes um, that lead to this um, disease state and we will discuss some of the natural substances that can help our bodies um, maintain health in our brain, in our bodies, and hopefully prevent um, dementia and Alzheimer's occurring in us. So I hope you enjoy this episode, learning about our brain and how to protect it with Dr. Michael Nelson. Hi, Dr. Nelson. Hi. <clears throat> How are you? I'm good. It's good to be here. You're gonna. You're in for a, a, a to get ready to drink from a fire hose. This is yeah. great information, and I think it's going to be very useful for your audience and for the people that are concerned about their brain health. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about what we need to know about DHA, lutein, and our brain. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and get started? I'm excited. Yes. Yeah. And this is um, this is a fairly I've I've delivered um, presentations like this on the same subject matter over the course of the last uh, four years now, <clears throat> and so this is the the most up to date presentation that I just finished polishing up over the course of the last uh, couple weeks. Um, so there's some new information that I hadn't ever presented before. So I think you'll find your audience should find this very useful and interesting. Um, <clears throat> so before we get started, a little bit about who, who I am. I'm the CEO of a company called Sierra Nevada Bioscience. We're a certified uh, GMP manufacturing facility. We're registered with the FDA. We're USDA organic and we're located in Reno, Nevada right outside of Lake Tahoe on the left-hand side of the screen there. So we're in a very pristine area, I think, in the United States. Um, it's It lends itself very well to a healthy lifestyle. Um, it gives me a lot of opportunity to breathe fresh air, maybe not today because of some of the smoke, but in general, it's a wonderful place to be. And our facility is um, 
very unique because we're a very small facility, but we're extremely agile and highly attentive to the quality uh, of the products that we make. And one of the products that we're going to be talking about is a product that we make right here in our facility. Um, so before I was the CEO of Sierra Nevada Bioscience, my career actually started back in the mid 80s and I, my undergrad degree is in respiratory therapy and I began my journey um, working with premature infants in the neonatal intensive care nursery. And it really gave me a reverence for the, the human condition at a very early age. Um, and I saw the, the incredible resilience that was inside the these small little human beings. And some of them were the size of my hand, actually. And my role was to put that tube inside their um, trachea so that they could breathe. Their major problem when they were born premature was that they didn't have respiratory capacity. And so we needed to breathe for them until they were big enough and strong enough to actually breathe on their own. So um, what I used to think was impossible became possible by my experience uh, in the neonatal intensive care. Um, that actually pushed me towards wanting to be a, a physician um, because I really thought, man, I'm saving lives. I'm seeing you know good things happening, and I'm seeing the miracles of um, at the time was modern medicine. Um, but then I began looking deeper, and I found that the systems in medicine were very disconnected. They were they were specialized, and those specialties did not really coordinate um, together. And so you saw a lot of uh, fragmentation in the care that was given. And I like this uh, version of the elephant. You know, it depends on what you're looking at on that elephant, on what you see it to believe or believe you, you're seeing. So it's really the holistic um, aspect that really drew me into um, a, my secondary career, which is a was as a chiropractor and I chose chiropractic because at the time it was a portal of entry way for me to treat people in a very holistic way. I went to school in University of Western States up in Portland, Oregon, and I started, I, I came across this concept of functional medicine very early back in the early nineties and functional medicine just resonated greatly with me because it, it really took into consideration the entirety of the human uh, being and the uh, things that you were seeing and the the elements that were impacting that that expression of dis-ease that you were seeing before you. So you were able to lend, um, you know, some very strong uh, help to those conditions by treating the root cause of the condition, not just simply masking it with a blocking agent or a, a you know, something to get them out of their, their head uh, with regard to perhaps depression or other things. So tonight or today, we're going to be speaking about this uh, product that I believe has incredible benefits to the human condition. Um, it's a product that I developed um, years ago, uh, about four years ago, and it was based on a tremendous amount of research that we're going to be reviewing, and it's called Brain Omega. And I, I named it Brain Omega because your brain has the highest concentration of DHA in the human body. And so we're going to be looking at how that impacts um, your cognition, your mood, your memory, um, and the aging process as you as you go through this life. So I want to back this thing. I want to really give you guys some background information that will help to really give you some critical understanding on what the what why you might want to be using a substance like this, the Brain Omega product, and 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 what it how it can help you. 
So there's some facts that you need to understand. First of all, docohexanoic acid, DHA, and lutein, they do not have any recommended daily intake by the government or any other agency. So there's nobody telling you you need to get enough of this or a certain amount of it. And, and that's, a, that's, that's, that's a problem because when you don't have people guiding you, you feel like you don't need it. And that could be, there couldn't be anything further from the truth in regards to that. And the average American gets less than two milligrams per day of lutein. And the average American gets less than a hundred milligrams of DHA. These are significantly below what we're going to be seeing in the research as being efficacious. <clears throat> now, let me, can I, can I interrupt you one second and ask you the DHA that's inside of fish oil, right? Yeah. It's, it's part of the omega-3 fatty acids and fish yeah right so if somebody was taking an omega anybody that's taking an, an omega-3 supplement should be getting more than 100 milligrams of fish oil of, of dha no that's no. not true so there's many fish oils that contains no uh, in fact the the drug companies have been so enamored with the impact of uh epa which is the other component of most fish oil, um, <clears throat> that they actually created prescription drugs out of them to reduce triglyceride levels and to help with cardiovascular disease. And they have zero, zero DHA. And we're going to be looking at why you want to have lots of DHA uh, in your omega-3 supplement. Okay. So brain beans actually named after coffee and a bean, the coffee. And um, I'm a big advocate of coffee. It's one of the most... Uh, it's one of the most antioxidant rich substances that we consume on a daily basis. And it's the only thing that helps, helps my personality. Mm. That's not true. There's other things that do too. Mm -hmm. Sunshine, exercise, um, work, all those things. But um, coffee is actually a really important. I just like to touch on this because I think a lot of people uh, understand that coffee can be good for them, but they don't understand really how good it could be for them. And it's actually quite good for you when you look at the risk for certain disease conditions, such as diabetes. It reduces your risk for diabetes by almost 30%. And Alzheimer's disease is considered type 3 diabetes of your uh, of the body. So it's, there's a direct relationship between diabetes and Alzheimer's disease. <clears throat> we also know that Parkinson's disease is, is significantly influenced by the intake of um, coffee. And not only does it have great um, antioxidant capacity, but it also helps improve bowel function. And one of the things that's really well known in the literature and in the clinical research is that one of the precursors to developing Parkinson's disease is constipation or having a bowel dis function a long term and that can lead to it and anybody that knows about coffee you drink a cup of coffee and the next thing you know you're in the bathroom so coffee can be very beneficial and in parkinson's the more you drink it looks like the better the less risk you actually have of parkinson's so just, that's just an aside uh, and i'm plugging the the brain beam <clears throat> so Today we're we're in the midst of a tsunami, and the tsunami has been coming to the shores of the medical system for quite some time. And this tsunami is called the silver tsunami because of the aging population. And that silver tsunami is crashing on the shores of the healthcare delivery system, and the healthcare delivery system has no answer whatsoever 
for what's hitting them. And it's, it's, a, it's a shame because the people that are coming to the doctor's office are in great need of some answers and some tools to use in order for them to avail themselves of significant burden of disease, in particular brain disease and dementia. So right before the pandemic hit, Blue Cross Blue Shield put together a <clears throat> report and what they did is they queried their, their members. Blue Cross is one of the, lead, the largest uh, insurers in the United States, if not the world. And they look back over retrospectively over the uh, time period of 2013 and 2017 to look at, well, hey, are we gonna see this silver tsunami hit the, the healthcare delivery system that we insure? or the, the insured that we we have underneath our policies and they i was they were shocked i'm shocked everybody should be shocked about the results that they reported now we didn't hear about this because if if you go back the the report was released on the last day of of February, right before the pandemic really took hold and obliterated any other knowledge and news that we were really getting because we were so concerned about the pandemic. But here's what the results were. Between the ages of 2000, or between the years of 2013 and 2017, there was a 407% increase in the rate of dementia in the ages of 30 to 44, 242% in 45 to 54 year olds and 90% between the ages of 55 to 64. This should drop your jaw. This should make you, this should make you pause and go, I thought <clears throat> Alzheimer's disease and dementia was an old person's disease. And clearly, clearly it is not when you see these types of numbers. So this silver tsunami is going to continue to announce itself at the shores uh, of the healthcare delivery system, but also in the houses and the households of many of the people that are um, that are suffering with this condition, and the caretakers that are also uh, going to be uh, called to, into action for it. So, look at the, the the swath of land that this this entails. It, this, if we look at the age groups, it, it affects everybody from the millennials on up. Gen Zers, the early Gen Zers, they're at risk now too. So this is not ever, this should not be considered an old person's disease. This isn't a, a disease of aging anymore based on the research or the report that I just shared with you. And <clears throat> when we look at dementia and Alzheimer's, it, 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 um, it affects women at, high, at way higher rates than men. Uh, one in six women will have Alzheimer's and it affects, it's twice as likely that they'll have Alzheimer's than they will breast cancer. And yet we don't really put it in those types of, we don't really see it in that light often because, you know, breast cancer is such a, a, a detrimental, it's a devastating disease as well. But you're more likely as a woman over the age of 60 to develop Alzheimer's than twice as likely uh, than to develop breast cancer. Now, in consideration of that, if you look at the caretakers at the home, it's the women that are taking care of these these people. It's, the men are they do do it, but in general, it's either it's a woman that's also burdened. It's either a sibling or it's a it's somebody else helping caretake of this. And one of the reasons why it's such a devastating condition that it takes two people to care for one person when they get into the later states of the demented mm -hmm. uh, state. So it's really devastating. And we need to do everything in our power to avert um, developing this condition. And that's 
what we're going to be discussing, how to do it. This just came out yesterday, so I wanted to throw it in. Um, this was a study that they did, and they looked at uh, new onsets of Alzheimer's disease and those that were impacted by COVID infections. And they looked at people that were 65 and older, and they found significant increases in the rates of the um, new onset Alzheimer's uh, diagnosis. And I mean, it's significant. It's over 70%. And the older you are, the more likely you are to have or to develop a new case of um, Alzheimer's based on your exposure and your your um, your infectious uh, condition with uh, COVID. And we'll talk a little bit about how that can occur. <clears throat> the other thing that needs to be uh, kind of considered is that obesity it greatly impacts the brain. And there's uh, just vast amounts of research now showing that the 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 more obese one is the smaller their brain is. And so this, this obesity, this fat tissue actually secretes inflammatory molecules that's, that shrink, that literally shrink your brain. And it impacts women at a greater rate than it does men. And so that when, when fat gets angry, I call it angry fat, fat that's secreting these cytokines. We've heard that term before with cytokine storms and, and the COVID condition. When fat gets angry and it starts to secrete these cytokines, it really burdens the brain. It starts to amplify the shrinkage of the brain, in particular, this area called the hippocampus, which is the memory center of the brain. So one of the great um, things that we can do that we can take under our, our control is developing strategies that can keep our body weight and our fat uh, mass in check. And that's exercise, diet, sleep, uh, all those things. So um, one of the, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, coffee and, and uh, diabetes. Well, um, type three diabetes is, con is considered, they call it Alzheimer's. You know, so Alzheimer's disease and diabetes are directly related. 80% of the people that have Alzheimer's disease have type 2 diabetes. Mm. And if you look at the people out in the United States, there's this is an older number, but there's about 89 million people that are pre-diabetic. And as a, as a, a physician that ordered thousands and thousands of tests screening for diabetes, you don't get the right result when you order the standard test. That's why you have to dig deeper to determine whether or not somebody's developing this pre-diabetic state. It's the most dangerous state to be in, and the doctors do nothing about it. What's the difference? What's dif different? Differentiate somebody from being pre-diabetic to being diabetic? A number. A number. An, a, what, a number of what? A number. A number in your blood sugar. So typically, when you look at <clears throat> and I pulled this up. It was a great question, Joanna, because this is comes to this idea of what's normal, what's abnormal. When we look at testing results, you uh, don't get a high, you know, that high abnormal or low abnormal <clears throat> until you reach a threshold. And doctors are so busy today, and most of them are PAs today, that they won't do anything about it because there's, they, they're not inclined to deliver a, or give a drug for something that's not abnormal. It's not within the standard of care. However, when you start to see people's uh, blood sugars and they're in particular, their A1Cs drifting higher, like at 5.7, which is pre-diabetic. And I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of 5.7 that I aggressively uh, addressed, <clears throat> then the doctors aren't going to do anything because it's not within the standard of care to do anything. So they're not going to give you the drug to try and correct that because you're pre-diabetic. You're not diabetic. They'll tell you to eat right, exercise, sleep, but they won't do anything as far as medications go. 
So the difference is the number. And, but the problem physiologically is that to, the pre-diabetic state is the most dangerous because you're working the hardest physiologically to try and control that blood sugar, meaning mm. that your insulin levels are spiking at high, high levels. That's why I always me- measured fasting insulin along with my uh, diabetic workout. And that will really give you the insight onto what, how, this, how the pancreas is working uh, either for or against you. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> stress is one of the major instigators. And I don't, you know, I think we can all agree based on what we've gone through for the last couple of years, that stress is just ubiquitous and it's everywhere. And it's something that we really, 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 really need to get under control, both, you know, internally with the way we deal with it and how we, how we start to adapt to it. Um, you know, and because stress increases your risk for developing Alzheimer's by 233%. And if you look at vascular dementia, which a lot of doctors know a lot about, and it's a contributor to dementia, it only contributes half that. So when we think of stress, it's very difficult to take a blood test and say you're stressed. You can do a lot of talking and people can cover up their stress, but physiologically it's causing major uh, aberrations in your biology that actually start to really alter the neurobiology and change the shape and function of your brain. So this was before the COVID hit, but, uh, and this really got my attention. This was from the World Health Organization. And this showed that, you know, we look at deaths from despair and that word um, is, it's a very, it's a very emotional word, right? Despair. It it means that you've just ran out of luck or ran out of, you know, hope. And I, I don't like that word, but it really describes the state that we were in before Uh, COVID and even more so today. But this was before COVID. You can see that the rates of death from suicide, alcohol, and drug addiction were skyrocketing. And most most people don't know that suicide accounts for twice as many deaths as homicide today. Twice as many people are killing themselves as are being shot or, or murdered. That's a lot. And we hear a lot more about murders than we do suicides. And we need about it because we put that behind the, the, the screen. We put that facade up and we walk around as if everything's okay. And that stress just brews and, and starts to change all that's going on inside our bodies and our, our brains. So we should be, you know, this slide was primarily for doctors and I told them I was going to do lecture to them, which I did earlier this week. I told them, you really need to start to dive into their personal condition so that you can actually allow them to have some uh, ability to talk about it and then maybe get them to a proper counselor. Um, so the way it works is there's uh, on the left-hand side over here is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the stress axis starts to change all this biology. It down-regulates this thing called the glucocortical regular glucocortical uh, receptor in your brain. And that changes all these other things that end up over here on the right-hand side to increase the amyloid deposition, which is a hallmark of uh, Alzheimer's pathology and tau aggregation, which tau pathology, and then also shrink or neurodegenerate your brain. So stress plays a major role. In addition, it also changes how much of the this thing called BDNF gets secreted. So we decrease this thing called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is miracle growth for your brain. You need it for neuroplasticity. You need it to maintain good neuronal connections and you need it to form new nerve connections and you need it to be happy. 
And that's, um, those are all things that get dysregulated in, in the face of stress. We also know that, as I've mentioned, the fat tissue increases your rate of inflammation and that inflammation increases this thing over here called peripheral cytokines. It causes uh, you to downregulate your normal anti-inflammatory regulatory system so that you no longer have the ability to, to stop that inflammatory burden. And you're in this, what we call a, um, a steady state of inflammation or a sterile inflammation. Sterile is in clean. Clean inflammation is not caused by infection. It's caused by induction by other elements like breakdown of tissue or fat tissue. And they all lead to the same thing that we saw with stress. And these guys go hand in hand. So it's nice to see it kind of laid out like this so you can kind of see the connections um, within the, um, the physiology that takes place uh, that develop, that go into developing some of the dementive states that we see. Well, it turns out that depression can be is one of the major risk factors for going on and developing Alzheimer's. And there's so many people out there that are depressed and um, depression is a normal reaction for certain conditions. Like when you get sick, you're supposed to be depressed so you can you can hunker down and heal. Well, depression is rampant today. And it's, it's rampant and we are looking at it as if it's a neurotransmitter difficulty. Mm -hmm. It's a neurobiology difficulty. It's not just simply a neurotransmitter difficulty. And in fact, a study came out just a while ago showing that neurotransmitters play a very I saw small that. Role, a role. I saw that. Yep. Which, which basically makes the entire use of SSRIs and antidepressants completely a moot like a, a waste of time. Um, it can, it can. I'm not saying that they don't work because for certain sub, uh, subpopulations, they do work and they probably work more by enhancing brain drive neurotrophic factor and reducing inflammation than they do improving neural transmitter uh, uh, increases. So that's probably how it works. And I could go into a whole uh, rabbit hole on that. And, and that's more likely how it's working. Right. Yeah. So basically what you're saying though, the, say, say the distinction again, instead of it being a serotonin, so, a, a lack of serotonin. Yes. So it's probably not a neurotransmitter insufficiency and it could be serotonin. It could be norepinephrine or epinephrine. Um, it could be GABA. It could be all of those, but those are all usually secondary to some other neurobiological input typically inflammation. And when inflammation right. starts to kick up in the brain, we reduce the production of serotonin and we increase the uptake of serotonin, leaving a gap in the middle where we need it. And so, um, and then we also reduce the brain derived neurotrophic factor and other things. So it's probably, it's way more complicated than just simply throwing a pill at a synapse and exactly. saying, exactly. Oh, uh, so it's way more than that. And we need to recognize that depression is majorly involved in, in dementia. And 21% of the people who are depressed go on to develop dementia. Think about the young kids today, the kids that don't get any sleep, the ones that we saw that 407% increase, mm -hmm. stresses that they're going through. We're about to see a massive rise in some of these uh, neurocognitive disorders. 
So we know there's things to do. And one of the things you can do is add DHA into your, into your body. And DHA, docohexanoic acid that comes from omega-3 fatty acids, is, has one of the strongest effects on improving this thing called the Beck's depression index, the BDI over here. That increases, that decreases the Beck's depression index greater than any other um, substance that they studied over here. And, and so we can do things to start to avert uh, now and long term, the implications of having uh, depression. What what was the dose that they gave in that study? Two grams, and we're going to talk. Two grams about a day. That. Yeah, we're going to talk about dose because I've got some good. I'm, I know. I just want to know what they did in that study to to show yeah. an improvement. Yeah. That's 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 a lot. Mm -hmm. That's two thousand milligrams. Yeah, that sounds like a lot, right? But I can. Yeah, we're going to talk about why that's not that much. And well, why no, you and I don't think it's a lot. But for the average person who's taking a a, a oral um, uh, omega three supplement, two thousand would be a lot because they're not because that's not coming in their average. <laughs> yeah. 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 Omega three and, supplement. Or they might not be uh, dosing appropriately to get to that level, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, drugs for Alzheimer's disease don't work, period, end of story. And they never will work um, because it's way more complicated than having a single drug try and target a, uh, a, a, a very complex disease process that's going on systemically throughout your body and neurologically in your brain. So that's why you're seeing this this absolute abject failure of all drugs associated with trying to treat uh, Alzheimer's disease. 99.6% of 400, they, drug companies have basically given up. I don't know if you know that, but the, the research and the, the new drugs that are being uh, pushed into the marketplace, they, they just don't, they know that they're not going to be approved and they know that they're not going to work. So they've really reduced their, their expenditures on trying to develop these drugs. So it's insane to think that we're going to have a drug that's going to fix this condition. It's a way more complex problem than that. Now, what happened uh, in July this year is this article came out. Science is the most uh, revered medical journal in the field of uh, science. So it's called Science. Um, it's if you publish, get published in Science, you're considered one of the top tiered uh, researchers in the world. It's got such high peer reviewed. Uh, criteria that you really have a lot uh, going on with your research. Well, what they did is they looked at some of the research that was going on that was looking at one of the targets, which is beta amyloid with Alzheimer's uh, from a guy that was researching it. And they found that he was altering and he was, he was falsifying his and fabricating the, his results. And this is uh, the person that sent me this uh, is a very well-known, highly published res uh, neurobiological researcher in the field. And she sent me this and she says, this is absolutely going to shake the field up. And it is. And because there was so much built on the research that was um Given uh, that this individual had put together, everybody else was doing research on it too, thinking that they're going down the right path. And they were absolutely being, uh, it was false evidence that they were trying to base their research on and nobody could replicate it. So this is not fully shaken out yet. And when it does, it's it's going to be significant because it's it was uh, a lot of the research was based on a uh, basically a house of cards.
Okay. So are you, so I'm trying to find the, the through line of what you're saying. What you're saying is, is all of the medications that basically are not working were based on evidence that was put forth through research that was fabricated. Yeah, not all the uh, medications, but the the current line of thinking that uh, Alzheimer's was being caused by was based on false evidence. Right. And so now the, what we're learning in the new science is that Alzheimer's is created by diabetes and inflammation. Yeah. No. So, yeah, another great question leads right into this slide. So Dale Brett is in here, one of the authors of this. He's a MD, PhD, I've met him, gone to many of his lectures, studied a lot of his work. He's wonderful. He's outstanding in his uh, in his view of how Alzheimer's works. And he I put this up here because this is how Alzheimer's should be uh, viewed. Alzheimer's disease as a systems network disorder. It's not one thing. It's not diabetes. It's not you know, just having not enough acetylcholine. It's a systems disorder of chronic stress, dyshomeostasis, innate immunity, and genetics. So it's a combination of multiple things that influence the expression and the ultimate manifestation of dementia. So I'm going to switch gears now and we're going to work, look at the eye because the eye is, is one of the best ways to get a sense of what's going on in the brain. Now, when I showed you the slides that we are disconnected in our specialties, we are disconnected in our specialties. And as a result, we're disconnected in our understanding as a group of people that are out there looking for answers, people that don't have the medical education. So we never think the eye, like if you ask the common person, go, how's your eyesight? Oh, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, did you know your eyesight is related to your brain? Not just because your, your eye transmits the information, but your eye is actually your brain. So this is John Dowling's book. I own this book and um, have gone through it. It's all about physics. And if this is the book that you would read and you would use as a textbook if you're an ophthalmologist. So John Dowling is a very well-known uh, uh, clinical researcher and, and clinician and teacher. Um, <clears throat> and he, the, his book, The Retina, if you read the right below it, he says it's an approachable part of the brain. And so we're going to talk about the, the retina a little bit here. So the retina is the back of your eye. It, it Basically, when I do an eye exam, I can actually look into the brain and see a lot of what's going on. I can see the vascular system. I can see how the how the veins are, or the arteries are looking. Do they look like they're atherosclerotic? Do they look like they're, they're kind of fading? Do they look pale? I can look at a lot and gain a lot of insight into the brain by via a simple eye exam. There's another element in the eye that's really important. It's called the macula. And the macula makes up a little area in the back of the eye that controls all the major sharpest vision. That's the vision that we have the best clarity with. And we've heard of age-related macular degeneration. Mm -hmm. So AMD, age-related macular degeneration, is related to the pigmentation of that little area called the macula. And the macula is made up of a substance called lutein and zeaxanthine. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Yes. Yeah. 
So, so lutein and zeaxanthin make up this little pigmented area. And we get that from our diet. And if you look at breast milk, uh, the first breast milk, the colostrum that's in breast milk, it's yellow. And it's yellow because it's full of mother's lutein and zeaxanthin. Hmm. You'll see this is also says mesozeaxanthin there. We actually make mesozeaxanthin from zeaxanthin. So it makes up, we, we, those two elements, lutein and zeaxanthin are primary. Mesozeaxanthin is a byproduct of the metabolism of zeaxanthin. Okay. So, so when we think of the macula, we should be thinking of the brain. And we're going to find out why. So 160, 196 million people in the world have AMD, age-related macular degeneration. It's a leading cause of blindness. It's totally preventable. And people over 50 are really, um, really uh, at risk for it. So what is, where do we get it? We get it from our vegetables. We get it from fruits and eggs and fish. However, it's a fat soluble substance. So it hides inside the membranes of these cell, these uh, plants and animals, and we have to really chew it up. And if you look at the, if you go and look at the uh, amounts, it's not that much. It's not as nearly as much as you need. And to get it into your body, you have to have a very robust and strong chewing system and digestive system. So what does lutein and what does the, the macula do? It filters blue light. It filters blue light. And it does that because um, it's very uh, radiating to the macula and it can damage it very quickly if we get blue over light radiates the macula. Absolutely. It oh damages, it, it completely oxidizes some of the carotenoids in the, and that's what it's there for. It's a filter for the blue light. Now, how much screen time are you on all the time? That's why I wear blue blocking lenses. I like blue light in the morning because that sets up a neuro, uh, a circadian biological uh, input that we need to turn off melatonin to get us uh, ready for the day. But when we get too much of it, it's very damaging to our biology, a circadian biology, our sleep cycle, and also to the retina, the macula in the eye. So, um, so <laughs> we we are really at risk of developing this thing called, and we are at risk of developing digital dementia. Um, and we are overly stimulating areas and under stimulating other areas by sitting at our computers, looking at our screens and just overindulging in, in screen time. The average, um, the average person worldwide is getting nearly seven hours of screen time each day. That's insane. So, That's it's the blue light, which is radiating our macula. And if the macula is radiated, it's compromised. The lutein gets damaged and the. Yeah, the, it degradates the lutein and it breaks down the lutein and it causes and, <clears throat> a thinning of the macula. Uh-huh. And that creates um, this, this uh, progression of macular degeneration. Macular degeneration. But how is that related to dementia? <laughs> you have such great questions. <laughs> Let's talk about that because it, it, it may, <laughs> you've never even seen this presentation and you're like, perfect. Um, so, <laughs> well, I'm so just it, trying to follow the, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're cross right the on T's track. and dot the I. I'm like, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. 
So age-related macular, macular degeneration is considered Alzheimer's of the eye. Okay. It's really re highly related to it. And they did a, they did a retrospective meta-analysis where they looked at, hey, is there really truly a, a relationship between AMD, age-related macular degeneration, and the risk or, of developing Alzheimer's? So they looked at oh, nearly 8 million people. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Mm. <clears throat> and what they found, there was a significant association between um, AD, Alzheimer's disease, cognitive impairment, and macular degeneration. So they're highly related. Well, the next question is, how are they related? Well, it turns out that lutein is deposited in your brain at key areas at high concentrations more than any other carotenoid that you eat. It's selectively put into your brain in specific areas, in specific locations to help protect and, and, and support your brain function. So not only is it in the eye, it's also in the brain. And remember, John Dowling said this is an approachable part of the brain. So we know that macular carotenoids are neuroprotectants now. We know that this thing called the macular pigment optical density, how thick that macular pigment is, are, are substantially reduced in patients that have AMD and are at risk for AMD. We know that it neutralizes free radicals. It protects against DNA damage and ameliorates uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, improves your energy input and your mitochondria are essential for proper brain health. It, it reduces inflammation and it absorbs that blue wave light that we're trying to keep from damaging our macula. This is all lutein. This is all lutein and zeaxanthine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to find out how it works together with DHA shortly. But if you look at a cell and you look at the membrane, we've got two sides. We've got this this, this lipid bilayer they call, and lutein basically sits right here. Can you see my pointer? Uh huh. So you, it sits right there and it crosses both sides. So it, 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 on every, on key areas in the brain, but cells that are really highly um, active and energetic, including the mitochondria, because the mitochondria also have a lipid bilayer. And they provide structural integrity to this area called the myelin that gives your, your ability to have sharp, clear, fast conduction in your brain. And it does a whole bunch of other things to help maintain the integrity of the nerve cells in your brain and your eye. Now, your eye is composed of all, nothing but basically nerve cells. Um, so it's really important for the for the eye stability as well. Now, here's where <clears throat> I, I'm going to spend just a moment. When I start, first started reading about lutein, <clears throat> I was I was like, huh, this is interesting. And I get down these rabbit holes and I ran across some data. And this is the data that I ran across that, that really, really, really grabbed my attention. And what this data uh, shows is that on these really high columns here, of zeaxanthine and lutein, this is how much we're finding in the brain. And on the low columns over here, this is how much we would measure in the blood. Mm -hmm. There's no, there, there's a significant difference, right? What's in the right. brain versus what's in the blood, mm -hmm. what's in the blood, what's in the brain. We get very little lutein in our diet, very little lutein. We get a lot of beta carotene. We get a lot of lycopene in our diet, but we don't find, and we have high levels in our bloodstream as a result, but we don't find 
those as high as we do lutein and zeaxanthin in the brain. And what, in fact, we have 500 times the level of lutein and zeaxanthin in our brain and, and in our eye, the macula, than we do any other tissue, 500 times the level. So what that tells us biologically is that there's a selective uptake of this carotenoid that's, that's now uh, delivered into neural tissue for a very specific reason. Biology doesn't just randomly work like this, right? Biology always has a method to its madness. There's a reason why biology is going to take and sequester this, this uh, lutein and zeaxanthin that we get very little of and selectively pull it in more than we do with these other things. And we're going to start to look at a little bit of that. So <clears throat> there's a study, there's a, a ongoing study, it's called the Georgia Centenarian study. And the Georgia Centenarian study had these uh, uh, folks that were going into the hundredth year of life, their, their 10th decade of life. And they were asked them, can we measure your brain function? Can we then, will you agree to donate your body to uh, science? And can we um, take a look at your brains after you die to see if there's any relationship to the level of lutein in your brain, cognition, and your macular pigment? Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to look at this. So what they found was the higher the level of lutein in the brains, the better these centenarians performed on cognitive testing. Significantly better. This wasn't just a little bit better. These people were living on their own and they were, they were self-sufficient, most of them. <clears throat> and macular pigment optical density directly, the, the how much, mac, uh, how much uh, lutein and zeaxanthin were in your macula, in your eye, directly correlated with brain lutein levels. Cool. We need lutein. I think you've made the case. I'm ready yeah. to buy some lutein. <laughs> yeah, well, you need it with DHA. So they also did a, a, so when they were doing some of these studies, they needed to use a control group and the control group they used were uh, Georgia uh, college students at the University of Georgia because, and by the way, Georgia college students get in for free if they maintain a B average in high school, they get free tuition and they have to maintain that B average throughout the, um, the term in their college. So they thought, ah, these guys aren't going to have any significant increase in their uh, macular pigment, and they're not obviously not going to have any significant increase in their brain function. Turns out they were wrong. They were trying to use them as a control. Turns out that these people actually had a significant improvement in their brain function. So due to, <clears throat> due to what? Giving them lutein and oh. zeaxanthin. Yeah. They actually give them the exact lutein and zeaxanthin that are in uh, the brain omega product. We use a patented form of it called uh, Ludamax 2020. Um, so this over here is what they studied. Uh, can they change complex attention? They gave them 12 milligrams of lutein um, over the course of, I think it was a year, and they measured their macular pigment. And so this is the group that got the, mac the lutein supplement. Their macular pigment went significantly up and did their, so did their, um, their ability to uh, change complex attention. They improved their complex attention abilities compared to the ones that didn't get it. 
These are are healthy young people. Mm -hmm. So then they they looked at another, they looked at how well are you improving your spatial memory? Can you, can you, can you see things uh, uh, spatially differently and better and more accurately? And they certainly did compared to the placebo, almost twice as good. This is well over two, two X better. So there was a two times increase in their abilities to perform these spatial memory tasks. And I don't, I don't forget what the number is here, but it's significantly better in the complex attention tasks. So they said, okay, well, that's interesting. Let's do it to old people. And they did it to old people <laughs> and they found the same thing. You know, one thing that you always wanted, if you've got anybody that's starting to lose uh, some of their memories and their cognitive capacity, you just don't want them to get worse. Right. Right. That's the big thing. These people got better. That's amazing. And that, that is amazing. So looting is what I would consider is the is the the brain pill of the future, along with DHA. Um, so when was that last study, the one you're showing on the screen was, just before? When was that study done? 2017. I Yeah, I, it's, you know, there, it's there's more. There's way more than that too. There's so much. I mean, there. Yeah. I, could, I could throw. A, yeah. A, I mean, I think it's obviously you've made my case. I mean, you've made your case. I don't think we need no. to talk about all the different studies because it's. Right. But my frustration is is, and we've talked about this multiple times in the past before is why doctors are not looking at supplements to help their patients. Um, <clears throat> They're, they're, again, the standard of care doesn't allow it. They're not trained in it. Um, they're uh, biased by some of the research that's out there that might show no, no results that are improperly formed uh, hypothesis within the study. They're actually designed to fail. Many of the uh, omega-3 fatty acid trials were designed to fail um, so that they would uh, pull the uh, rug out from underneath it. There's, there's contention within the industry, right? Between health and disease. Mm-hmm. Health, health is different than disease. And so when you have these two uh, opposing viewpoints, then it's mm-hmm. going to be very difficult for them to come together. The problem is that we rely on the MD to, to basically give us these, this information. I've quit doing that. Obviously, I train a lot of them and I teach them, but I don't, uh, you know, the ones that want to learn will learn the ones that don't won't. Yeah. And you know what else I think as consumers, um, we need to stop thinking as of doctors, as people who help us with our health and traditional MDs, allopathic MDs help us diagnose and address disease. They do not help us address health because that's not, they are not trained in health. They are trained in disease and, uh, you know, and, um, and then they're trained in, you know, FDA approved, um, symptom, symptom blockers, you know, AKA drugs or interventions that address symptoms of disease. They do not address the underlying biological symptoms that create the disease state. So really, you know, I, I've really spent so much of the last, you know, 10 years or so being, you know, upset and kind of irritated with physicians, but truly we have to stop giving up that power. And it's, it's about us recognizing these people are trained in a certain way, a certain mode, a certain perspective on disease. And that's what they're trained in. And if we're interested in health, 
we need to ed educate ourselves and go to people that are educated in health and how to create those states, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I got to hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'll, 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 I'll start flipping through this a little quicker, but um, Ludamax 2020 is what we use in the Brain Omega product. It's been in the subject of multiple, multiple, multiple studies. One of the studies that caught my eye was the fact that it improved brain-derived neurotrophic factor, miracle grow for your brain and neuroplasticity, making your brain, brain more flexible and capable of learning new tasks. And when you look at the people that took Ludamax 2020 on the left-hand side over here, they started them here. They increased significantly over the course of six months their brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That's a by, lot. By how much? Uh, it's it's uh, at least 40%. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is significant. Any improvement in brain-derived neurotrophic factor is a, a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and what was the amount that they took each day? It was t uh, 12 milligrams. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this is the subject, uh, the placebo subjects. There was no change. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, let's just briefly go this or through this because this is big deal. Um, <clears throat> your immune system is uh, uh, very complex, and we have this thing called the complement system. I don't, most people no. don't. So there's pathways called the classical pathway, the lectin pathway, the alternative pathway. They all and the complement system serves as an important role for in immunity by removing pathogens and apoptotic broken dead cells. Three distinct pathways can induce complement activation with the alternative pathway targeting both both pathogens and host tissue. So they all come down and they all summate right here. They all, all three of them end up at this thing called C5B9. That's called MAC, uh, Membrane Attack Complex. It basically breaks the cell and allows you to kill things, right? And including your own cells. And this, is, this can be a big problem for people that get infected because it causes, this is part of the cytokine storm. So <clears throat> they know that, it, that lutein helps to preserve and maintain um, the MAC activation in the retinal tissue, but they wanted to look and see whether it helped in the systemic circulation. In other words, can it help overall with the, with the peripheral circulation? Because MAC is a big deal. MAC is a huge deal. It causes you to go into sepsis and die. And when you have too much of it, you will have major problems. So, what they did is they gave these people lutein and then they measured over the course of a year the expression of this that lectin uh, c5b9 mac and they found that it significantly went down it was controlled this is this is the higher the levels that you see up here they're they're also related to infection but they're related to body fat because you secrete a lot of this, this particular protein through body fat. Mm -hmm. So it's very important. And, and guess where lutein stored? I don't know. Body fat. It's a fat soluble substance. So not only does it protect your eye, but it protects your immune system from overactivating when you have a, an infection like COVID. Mm -hmm. And they're actually looking at 
the, so the, this overactivation of the complement cascade, mm-hmm. this article talks about the overactivation of that, that alternative pathway, and they're developing monoclonal antibody drugs to target it. Well, you can use lutein to, to actually target it, and it works fantastic. So you can actually hold, you, you can basically balance out your immunity just by using a simple thing like that. Like lutein? Yes. Yeah, it's fantastic for your immune system, your complement pa- cascade. Amazing for it, like I just showed you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so your brain's mostly non-neuronal. This is Ben Barris from Stanford. He's uh, 80% of your brain mass, the, the little blob up in your cranium, is not nerves. Did you know that? I don't know. I know nothing about what the brain is made up of. I'm just a regular person. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not nerves. And this is Ben Barris, and he's one of the top neuroscientists out of Stanford. And he really developed a lot of the, the current work that's out there regarding um, this non-neuronal component of the brain called glia. Um, glia was, the term glia was basically... Uh, named after when it was discovered back in the 1800s because they thought it was glue that was holding the brain together. Well, it turns out it's not glue. It's way more than glue. Um, <clears throat> it's actually these, uh, these, these brain cells that walk around your brain and actually clean it up. And when you sleep, your brain shrinks like 40%. So th- these things can walk around and clean up your brain. So the glia are highly active during during your life and during your day, cleaning up debris. And when they get overly active, they cause destruction and damage. And the peripheral circulation, when inflammation, this low-grade inflammation, stress, infection, all those things, well, they, they start to activate these glial cells. And I want to show you this video of a, this is a real-time image of a mouse that's being, um, that's, these are fluorescent cells inside the mouse, live mouse brain, and they injure the, this area right here in the middle. And you'll see these, this is real time, you'll see these cells migrate towards the injury to clean it up. And they're secreting a tremendous amount of chemicals and other things. Now check this out. You'll see the injury right there. They converge on it. They converge on it to clean it up and and sequester it so that it doesn't cause further damage to the Hmm. central nervous system. Now, these glia, these microglia, they didn't come from your brain. They they actually came from your bone marrow when you're eight weeks old in utero. So they're non-neuronal cells and they're non-brain cells in origin. They came from macrophages, big eaters. Macrophages are part of your immune system. The, all the research right now that's being looked at in regards to schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, a lot of Parkinson's, ALS are looking at these cells. They're looking at ways in which to manage these cells. Well, it turns out that that complement cascade is one of the major triggers for the activation of these glial cells that we talked about. That's why, and they actually help to support uh, these glial cells from being so uh, non-injurious. When you eat fatty acids, DHA, you actually make those glial cells, these human microglial cells, decrease the amount of inflammation. So not only does uh, DHA and EPA help with brain function, they also help to support and manage the inflammatory activation of those little critters that are in your brain running around cleaning up stuff. So the short way of saying what you're saying is 
DHA reduces brain inflammation. Yeah, and it does it via this too. Yeah, through the micro, those, those little uh, macrophages, the microglia. So we need to work on keeping our brains from shrinking. Uh, one of the best ways to do it is to improve your fatty acid concentration in your brain. Your brain is only 2.2 pounds average. It consumes over 20% of all your energy at rest. And of the omega-3 fatty acids, it's got the highest concentration. 97% of that omega-3 fatty acid is in the form of DHA, not EPA. There's a little bit of EPA, but very little. In fact, really very little. So DHA is the primary constituent of the omega-3 fatty acid variety in your brain and your eye. That's why it's so important. So um, we know that when people start to supplement with DHA, they have higher uh, brain volumes. Their brains get bigger. They maintain the integrity of the memory center of the brain called the hippocampus. So it really improves their hippocampal volume, making them better able to um, think and recall and have memory. <clears throat> um, this was a study that was done by, uh, this is part of the Framingham Heart Study. That's the longest ongoing heart study uh, clinical trial in the world. Um, and this guy right here, Ernie Schaefer was one of the founders and I've actually met Ernie a couple of times. Great guy. He, he actually runs Boston heart right now. Um, he runs the Boston heart, uh, uh, lab that you've had labs. Uh, on. Yeah. I, I, I mean, how, how is this, this should be like front page news. I don't understand. 47% <laughs> reduction in the risk of developing all cause dementia and, yeah. and. Does it say, were they just testing people at random or were they supplementing and doing a study? No, no, they were just, they, they're just a follow-up study. So they just follow them. They don't do they any. They follow them. They just follow them. And what was the top quartile? Uh, I think the top quartile was not even that high. It was like seven or eight. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't that high. Um, so yeah, so significant this reduction. Is insane. <laughs> I know. And this is why also DHA is so important in children in from birth to like age five, because the brain is developing and they, 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 at a certain point, right. They put DHA in, um, baby formula where, when it wasn't there before, I mean, it was, it's been a long time. They've been, it's been yeah. there a long time, but DHA is normally found in breast milk, and then they added it to to, to um, formula. But then, but then, we don't traditionally or regularly supplement it with children up until the ever really. We don't give them fish oil, mm -hmm. and they real. It's like so important, right? DHA is so important yeah. to our brain development. Yeah, absolutely. But it's 100%. like it's like from when we're babies and we're we're older. It's like. And why would we only supplement at the beginning and at the end if this is a thing that keeps our brain healthy, uh, right? So we want to supplement. It is, and why do like why that. do we need to supplement? Well, why do is it why is like why is there such a inability to get these items from our food? And has it always been that way? And we just died. Are, are, you know, we never used to live this long, so it was never an issue. I mean. Yeah, <clears throat> well, I think um, in order to get a level that's sufficient for today's world, which would mean uh, a brain omega level of eight 
plus, you would have to be eating fish three to five times per week. And it has to be the fatty fish. It can't be Atlantic salmon. It can't be any of those garbage fish that are out there. It has to be the really good fish. And I don't know that, um, I don't know that that's possible for most people. Honestly, I don't think it is. And, and if you don't cook the fish correctly, if you cook it in oil, you're going to denature the fat. There's a bunch of reasons why you could have even problems, even if you did eat with the right fish. Supplementation makes it simple and easy and consistent. And the consistency is the key to maintaining the integrity. Okay. Of, so how does meat. this, is there any studies done by vegetarians compared to non to meat eaters? Because vegetarians yes. cannot get fish. Yeah. oil. Yeah. So I, I had a, I had lots of vegetarians and vegans in my practice. Um, and they consistently had the lowest levels of brain omega when we tested. Now, possibly, possibly they could be having low DHA, which is not good, but because they didn't eat meat and potentially a bunch of inflammatory foods, they had a lower baseline inflammation level so therefore they didn't yeah. have as much of a need to supplement with DHA to lower inflammation. Is that like, because you don't have vegetarians dropping like flies. I mean, they're, no. you know, if you have a healthy vegetarian who's eating lots of a variety of plants and, and seeds and fruits and, and, you know, all these things, they're mm -hmm. getting all kinds of wonderful things and not a lot of inflammatory foods. Right. Right. <clears throat> yeah. They, they, they actually get ALA which is alpha linoleic acid. And that's a precursor to, to you can kind of make it mm -hmm. of course of the, the metabolism of ALA. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to make that. And the more, the older we get, the less we are capable we are of doing it. Um, that's why it's, and there's algal forms now of um, DHA. So there's ways to get around the, the, the vegetarian vegan um, uh, conversation and you can still supplement with it. So, um, you know, it's just, we have to, I, I like to look at numbers and I like to look at um, ratios uh, when it comes to DHA, EPA, AA, um, and those types of things. And I consistently saw them, them low with those people. And many had a lot of gut issues, but they weren't the healthy vegetarians. They were grainaholics. Yeah. Those people had a tremendous tough time. They had a, yeah. a lot of other issues, a lot of autoimmunity. Um, so okay. sorry, me, go ahead. Let me, I'm just going to start to, okay. So you asked about how much um, should we be taking? And um, this is Dr. Uh, uh, Hussein out of U USC. He's one of the top researchers as it relates to DHA metabolism and uptake into the brain. He's got great research. He's also an ApoE4 uh, expert, which is another precursor or another risk factor associated with developing uh, late onset dementia. Um, <clears throat> and what he found very clearly in his research is that you need to be taking a minimum of two grams of a triglyceride-based formula per day, and you have to take it for two and a half years minimum in order for you to start to translate that into better brain function. Wow. So you're, now think about this for a second. Tissue turns over at different rates. Your bone turns over slower than your skin. Your brain turns over slower than uh, your, your bone. So there's a lot of variation in how fast and how rapid we're turning over tissue. 
The building blocks associated with the turnover have to be there on an ongoing basis at a, a sufficient level for you to actually maintain proper integration of that substrate, the DHA, over the period of time necessary. So skin responds very quickly to fatty acid supplementation, so does gut. <clears throat> but brain takes longer and you have to be on it longer and you should maintain it for, the, for, for your lifetime for you to keep that substrate availability there for you to have proper integration of the actual omega-3. Huh. So um, now I'm going to tie it together. Lutein and DHA, they actually uh, are, are localized in the brain and together. So we've kind of separated the two topics. Now we're coming together and, we're, and I'm telling you that lutein and DHA co-localize. They sit right next to each other. And the reason they do that, they do it in the eye. They also do it in the brain. They do it because lutein basically keeps the, the DHA from being damaged through oxidation. And when you have a damaged fat in a cell, it causes that cell no longer to work correctly. And so you can see that when we deposit, that's why when we have 500 times the level of uptake of lutein into the brain, other than more than any other tissue, there's a reason for that. And the reason is, is because it protects the brain tissue and the DHA in the brain from being hurt and broken. <clears throat> so they did a study where they looked at the oxidation, the DHA oxidation products, byproducts. These are lipid peroxides that get produced from, from just basic thinking, right? And there was a relationship between how much lutein there is in the brain and how much oxidation there was, meaning more lutein, less oxidation. Mm -hmm. Sig that, that's, that's huge. If, if you get nothing from this talk, I want you to get that because that's going to protect your brain long term from, from shrinking. And it'll also keep it, as we saw, from, uh, from having problems with cognition. We know that lipid peroxidation is the key uh, factor associated with neurodegeneration. This is the, the final common pathway. This is what's going on in brain disease. So this is a brand new article that just came out. I think it was yeah, 2020. Um, <clears throat> but they, they make this statement, excessive lipid peroxidation is a hallmark for most degenerative disorders, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, and many other neurological conditions, including schizophrenia, depression, and some of these other neuropsychiatric diseases, not just these neurodegenerative diseases. Um, oh, we've talked about that. Beyond um, just brain, omega-3s are good for your heart. And they reduce, you know, the higher the levels are, the lower the risk for developing cardiovascular disease, 35% lower, just with the 8%. Uh, and that's not even that high. I mean, you really want to get yours in the 10s. Um, we also know that it reduces, this is brand new, this just came out a couple months ago. Um, this is uh, Bill Harris. Uh, he's the guy that founded the fatty acid profile, a uh, friend of mine, good mm. guy. He's... Um, He's actually uh, look at the look at the people on here, right? That's a lot of people contributing mm -hmm. to this body of work, and this is published in uh, Nature, another really top tier uh, research uh, 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 review uh, 
<laughs> publication. <laughs> uh, so it showed that there's a 15 to 18% reduction for the people that have the highest levels of omega-3s of all-cause death. That's un unbelievable. Yeah. So we do have a test. We run a test. We're revising some of the analytes now to incorporate a few other things and some ratios that we didn't currently have. And you'll be seeing that coming out. But you can order a home test and poke your finger and, and get the number and start taking action. How much it. is the test? It's like $49. It's, okay. cheap. it's cheap. Yeah. And so this will get this will tell you where you are. Yeah. Yeah. These are the, what the results look like and they show you where you need to be. And then we send you reminders of when to retest and how much to take and all that good stuff. We know. So there's a difference between ethyl esters and uh, triglycerides. Ethyl esters are synthetic. They're, they're actually formed through uh, a processing um, procedure uh, and they're used to stabilize oil. Your body can't use that. That's what's in the like the Loveza and some of the other uh, prescription uh, EPAs that are out there, your body has to reconvert that into triglyceride. Why in the world would a company, I mean, I know they do it for money, but why would they create a fake fish oil as opposed to just... It's not a fake fish oil. It's just an altered one that's stable. So they're, they're, they're just trying to uh, stabilize it. You, we, ours is stable. And so, and it's a triglyceride form. In fact, um, uh, we use what's called an IFOS. It's an international fish oil standard. When I set out to create this product, I knew that I wanted to have an environmental, um, I, I was environmentally concerned about overfishing. So I didn't want to use a fish oil that was being just rampantly farmed and with no regard to the environment. So I uh, located a fish oil uh, supplier that actually was IFOS certified meaning that they don't overfish. When we get when we get our fish oil in, they tell us the lat longitude and latitude of where they caught this, the types of fish that they caught, when they caught it. They give me the lipid peroxide levels. They tell me everything I need to know about this oil. Um, <clears throat> and then we use the Lutamax 2020, which is that patented form of lutein and zeaxanthine in the mm -hmm. proper ratios, the five to one ratio. Um, they've won all sorts of awards with this. They've got all sorts of patents on it. It's a blue light protector. It's a, uh, it's a macular degenerative uh, protector. It's a, it does a whole bunch of stuff. Um, in, in one bottle, we have 180 soft gels. Uh, we, then they're small. I designed it so kids could take it, actually, because I knew that children were probably, a, that's where you really want to have the most impact, right, with kids mm -hmm. so that they can grow up with healthy brains and health, healthy um, futures. So, um, so you take two a day? Yeah, no, I take, it depends on your brain omega level. So if your brain omega level is low, you're probably going to be taking four twice a day to get it up there. It takes a while to super, to saturate your, your body with it. But if you take two, you get 460 milligrams of DHA. Remember, if you look at the research, two grams seems to be the magic dose. So if you were to take uh, four in the morning, you're getting a gram. If you take four in the afternoon or in the evening, you get two grams. So, um, and then you get the Ludamax at uh, 12 milligrams um, per uh, two capsules. So you get a, a very healthy dose of that, a, a efficacious dose, a studied dose, a quantified dose. It should be also mentioned that um, 
you need B vitamins in order to incorporate uh, fatty acids into your phospholipid or membranes. So you got to have a nice supply of B, B complexes. If you're not taking one, this is the one that uh, we put together. <clears throat> it's got a full complement uh, at very significant doses of the proper activated forms of the B vitamins. That's uh, that's really good. It's it's a, it's an awesome one. It's we actually. Um, get a lot of compliments on this particular formula. So that's all I got. Okay. So I didn't realize the B vitamins were required to assimilate the DHA. Yeah. Yeah. They're essential for fatty acid or fatty acid incorporation. Yeah. So can you go back to the, the um, two slides ago that shows the um, serving size of the DHA? Yep. So two soft gels gives you. Have you ever seen soft gels? I don't know. They're about the size of a raisin. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So one of the concerns I had, again, was that swallowing is an issue with older individuals and with Parkinson's disease. So um, I, I, I was cognizant of that when I developed this product. Right. Yeah. But you put the 10 milligrams of lutein in it. Yeah. So if I'm taking double the amount of where it says serving size two soft gels, if I take a four during the day, I'm going to get 20 milligrams of lutein. Yeah. And that's fine. It's it's, safe. It's grass. It's actually, uh, yeah. Generally recognized as safe. Um, you know, I've seen studies with, I think it was 40 milligrams. No, they never report adverse effects, but they, um, they did show, uh, a relationship between the intake of higher dosages and improvement in macular pigment optical density. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, then the next slide again is the B vitamin. So this is a B vitamin supplement. Um, it's, so those are all kind. It's a, a B complex, right? It has all those different yeah. B vitamins. Yep. Huh. Is this new? No, we've had this for a while. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. It's a. It's a. It's a really. Yeah, I I didn't know that 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 you needed to take the B vitamins with the with the DHA. Yeah. Unless you have already high B vitamins because, yeah. right. Okay. Well, it's amazing. It's an amazing product. I, it's, you know, I don't know how we get to a point where people, I mean, I think it's slowly happening where people will stop only doing what their MD will tell them or not tell them. Um, you know, and like if my M, if the MD doesn't say it or recommend it, then it literally won't happen. And it's, um, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a hard place. That's a hard, uh, conversation to get through with a lot of, I I've spent years and years getting through that conversation. And, um, you know, the, the thing that always made the difference with that, um, perception and, and belief is, when people took a chance and they said, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try. And then they saw the results 
And then when they saw the results, mm -hmm. they started to become, you know, self-efficacious and they started to I basically take their health into their own hands at that point and start to realize that there was more to health than simply taking a statin or a, you know, something that will help their upset stomach or those types right. of things. Yeah. And I think it's 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 the same in this case, though, as well. It's not as simple as taking an amazingly formulated natural supplement, right? It is all of the things. It's like our health is a balance sheet. It has, um, or, or a profit and loss where we have all the things that can negatively affect our, our body systems, all the things that can positively affect our body systems. At the end of the day, you want a health profit. You want a health profit. So taking this supplement is going to add to the, the, the benefit, the profit of our health system, but having excess fat is going to take away from it. Having stress every day is going to take away from it. You know, mm -hmm. not eating any, any vegetables is going to take away from it. You know, like mm -hmm. we, we have to, uh, in my opinion, continue to, to say the me to the message to people is that disease is an expression of the imbalance in your body. And the, you know, there's, there's a whole range of things that we can do to get your body back in balance, you know, sleep, food, exercise, reducing fat intake, you know, maintaining healthy blood sugar, all of the, I mean, there's like all stress, all these things, and also taking supplements that help our body do what it needs to do. But it, there is no pill, whether it's a, whether it's a, um, you know, a medication or a, or a fish oil that's going to fix obesity, you yeah. know, like, right. These are things yeah. that complement. Yeah. And I think, you know, well, they're called supplements for a reason, right. <laughs> right. They supplement your lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you're developing these products and you are a living example of somebody who, who does all of the other things, you know, and then you enhance your yeah. life with these supplements in addition to, to, to all of the lifestyle, um, you know, measures you take every single day. And, um, so I think really that's, you know, that's the message I want to tell people is, is, you know, it's health is a health is a lifestyle. Health is a, is a daily list of, of choices that we make that go into the green column as opposed to the red column, you know? Yeah. And, um, disease doesn't just show up one day. Yeah. True. You know, it's, it's a, it's a million different decisions you've made over the last, you know, 10 years, but this sounds awesome. I'm excited about, um, incorporating the supplement into my, um, into my daily <clears throat> regimen. Um, I'm going to send this too. I'm going to share this with my, my dad who has Parkinson's as you know, and <clears throat> so I don't know, maybe, maybe by seeing the, the, the science behind the, the formulation will help yeah. make the case. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Joanne. I really appreciate connecting with you and, um, until next time. Thank you so much, Dr. Nelson. Okay. Have a good day.